0: So that you can live your version of an epic and rich life. Today's episode features an incredible, incredible woman. Her name is Stephanie Day, and Stephanie is the Director of Research Partnerships at Ryerson University, where she focuses on women's entrepreneurship and diversity and inclusion in corporate Canada. Previously, Stephanie worked with UN Women as the National Coordinator in Canada for the We Empower G7 program, encouraging deeper action in the private and public sector to advance women's economic empowerment in Canada and throughout the G7. Stephanie is also the Non-Executive Director at Global Frontier Markets risk firm, Demina Advisors. She volunteers on the Economic Empowerment Committee at Black North and is the co-founder of the African Development Forum at the School of Oriental and African Studies in the UK. Stephanie holds a BA Honours in Political Science and Law from Carleton University and a Master's in International Studies and Diplomacy from School of Oriental and African Studies in the University of London. Stephanie is a powerhouse, a trailblazer, a mama of four. And I am so, so honored to share today's conversation with you all. Okay. Hi, Stephanie.
1: Hi. Good afternoon, Robin. How are you?
0: I'm good. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. It is such a privilege to be able to talk to you today. And I'm really excited for my community to connect with you and your beautiful wisdom. I wish they could see you right now because (laughs) your traditional headrest is so beautiful. What is the name of that?
1: Thank you. This is actually Kente. So uh, both my parents are originally from Ghana. So this is Kente cloth. It's a very traditional cloth, uh, very well known actually across Africa, but very much so across West Africa and originally from Ghana.
0: I love it. Thank you. So, so beautiful. Um, Right. So I don't even know where to begin this conversation because you are just so incredibly um, multifaceted, amazing. You've done so many cool initiatives and projects. And there's a million things that we could talk about, I'm sure. So why don't we start with the very beginning And could you briefly maybe share what you wanted to be when you were younger, who your role models were, and how you kind of got started in the work that you do now?
1: Sure, that is a very good question. So, when I was younger, I um, I wanted to save Africa. (laughs) I wanted to be in international development, and I remember I remember very clearly in high school. Um, one of my, um, teachers taught us about the Rwandan genocide and it was that teaching. I did a paper on it that I said like, no, this is not okay. I was very concerned about how, uh, the world dealt with the genocide and what was happening in Rwanda. And from then my interest was piqued and I said, no, international development, that's it. That's where I want to be. Um, and that's what I tried to focus on, but, um, You know, life has a way of throwing you curveballs and you kind of get into different things. So, But it was international development. That's where I wanted to be. And uh, role models, it was people who were close to me. It was my dad. For instance, I grew up with my dad um, and my brother. And my dad has always been a very strong role model in my life, doing what he has to do to take care of the family. And I've just always admired him for that.
0: Mm, Amazing. And when you wanted to get into international development and you say life took you on a different path, how, like, what was that path? Where did you start?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I was focused on international development. I eventually got a job with the government, uh, in the foreign affairs department as a passport officer. And, um, I was so excited to finally, you know, get a government job out of university. And I thought this was great. And then I ended up crying in the bathroom every single day. And I was like, I can't do this. You know, like, this is not for me. This is not what I wanted. Um, And then I went to, um, London, England, with my girlfriends, and we had a trip and I was like, I, I'm I'm gonna go to England, like I gotta figure out a way to get there. <laughs> so I applied to school and I did my master's there in international studies and diplomacy. I chose that program particularly because there was a very practical element of it. We went to Geneva for a week where we got to meet with different international institutions. Um, and again, my love um, and admiration for international organizations just totally blossomed. Long story short. Um, after going to London, I got married and I had my first child shortly afterwards. And then I was home, yeah. and I was like, "Okay, this is <laughs> this is different. <laughs> this is different. Not exactly, you know, what I had planned or what I had expected." And um, I was home for quite some time. And I remember uh, finally I saw this posting for a job with UN Women in Canada, and I was thinking like. First off, you never see UN women postings in Canada uh, and rarely see UN postings in Canada, let alone UN women. Um, And I looked through the job description and it was all about gender equality. It was all about women's economic empowerment. And I was thinking, wow, like it just hit something inside me like, okay, I didn't technically study feminism in school uh, and I was focused on international development. Yes. But there's something here for me. Um, And I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but I always say like, I read that terms of reference and I was like, yeah, this is my job. Like, you know, you just kind of claim it. And I applied, and the rest is history. And, I mean, it was truthfully a learning experience for me because, as I said, I didn't maybe have all the theoretical knowledge um, mm-hmm. and know some of the arguments. So I had to come up to speed very quickly um, on, you know, what's happening in the ecosystem, who's who in the ecosystem. Um, but at the end of the day, I just genu- genuinely connected with the issues. You know, there's the the basic concept of women's economic empowerment. I said, yeah, uh, that's what i want to do that's where i am
0: i just got goosebumps listening to you because <laughs> it's like that that was just your moment Yeah. To, and it's so cool because you easily could have got caught up in the the stories we tell ourselves right when you were being a mom at, at home yeah. with your babies like it's not going to happen for me like yeah. what's my career trajectory going to look like did i give up my dream like all of that stuff yeah. right
1: And, you know, it's so interesting because even now, Mm -hmm. um, four kids later, working in the ecosystem every day, I'm still trying to make it work. And it's like one of the things that keeps coming to me. And I know when I was younger in university and when I got out, I always felt like, you know, young women, you have that dream, you can have it all.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: know me and my girlfriends, we never wanted to give up that dream. Like we yeah. never wanted to give up that dream. So like you say, I could have got caught in the loop, like the dream. It's not true. You know, yeah. like it's not possible. You can't have it all. And what I'm coming to understand and understand and every day I'm coming to terms with this is that you, I do believe you can have it all. I think it comes in phases. And I think mm-hmm. there are choices and decisions that every woman has to make for herself yeah. Um And that vision and that goal can change and it's dynamic, um, but you can have it all. And like, I have taken on I mean, Robin, you know me, I've done a lot of different things, you know, in the ecosystem because I genuinely care and I love those things. But I've also, I also love my family, you know, like, and I prioritize my family just the same. So it's like just finding that right balance. And I I kind of feel like I hate that word now, balance, because we talk about (laughs) it so much. But it's the truth, you know, it's the truth. You do have to find that right balance for you. And it is possible. Um, And I think one of the new messages that I want to share with other young women is that it is possible. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel a burden. To encourage young women um, about to share with young women one about the truth, the reality that it it can be difficult. There'll be some challenges, uh, but also encourage them that it's possible. So that's that's sort of where I am right now in my my journey of women's empowerment.
0: (laughs) I love that message. It most likely will be difficult, but it is possible. Yeah, I um, you really inspired me. I remember. I guess it was this time last year, it was March because it was International Women's Day. And um, we were at that event, the embassy event in Toronto, yeah. and you were speaking and you had your eight-week-old baby girl <laughs> on your hip while you were having this event with delegates and leaders and, <laughs> and all these high-profile people. And there was Shiloh, the baby yeah. girl that is now on your lap while we're having this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it is so freaking cool that yeah. you are redefining what work. And I'm using parentheses, work and motherhood looks like in the modern era, like why we've always had this separation of like, when I'm at home, I'm a mom. And then when I'm at work, I have to pretend I'm not a mom. And you were just like, no, no, no. I'm rewriting that rule. She is coming with me. I'm not going to take traditional mat leave. I want to be here. I've worked hard to be here. And I want to be there with my child. And it was a beautiful, like for me, I remember my husband was there too. And I said to him, this is a moment for me to see that you get to be a mom at work and at home. Like, you know, like you don't have to pretend you're not a mom in these other worlds that we live in at all.
1: I appreciate you saying that so much because the truth is that it's so scary. Mm -hmm. It's so, and like, this was pre-COVID. Yeah. And the the other truth is that my husband supported me a lot through that because I'm like, I'm not doing this. This is so embarrassing. Like, this is a high-level event. I'm going to be the only one there with my baby, you know. And I was I was scared. I was yeah. really scared. And he said, no, this is your truth, and yeah. you love the work that you do, and you're a great mom. And, like, if you can't be your authentic self working in women's economic empowerment, like, yes. where is change that you're advocating going to come from. Um, and that hit me. And I said, yeah, so I, I pulled myself together. <laughs> and I tried to keep my head up high. So I'm encouraged that you 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 pulled something from that. And I, the other thing I wanted to say on that is that like pre COVID, it's true, we, there was a huge separation, like, mm-hmm. you know, you put on your face, you put on your hair, and you leave your private life at home, and you come and you're super professional, and everything is clean and nice and and that's not true and that's not authentic and you know and then COVID happened right and pre-COVID like we need flexibility you know we were pushing for all these things to support women to Mm -hmm. to make the choice at least just have that choice if you want to work but you need flexibility or you need extra support like it was just about for me anyways having that choice and um Then COVID happened and everything changed. And all of a sudden, all the excuses that corporates were saying that we can't be flexible, we don't have the technology... Well, all of a sudden, it magically appeared, and people were bringing their authentic selves to work. Yeah. You know, like Robin saying, "I'm here. I've got my traditional head wrap on," and like I wear this all the time. But maybe I wasn't ready to wear it outside of the home at the beginning. But now it's like you see people coming with their selves. You see people coming with their children, whether they want to bring their children, you know, yeah. to the zine <laughs> They don't want to bring them. Like they're there, and that's okay. And yeah. you know, you've got grandmas. You've got you. You've got people just being themselves and the workplace accepting that. Mm-hmm. So of all the bad honestly that has come out of covid there are some glimpses and some glimmers of hope where we see at least people can be themselves and that's okay, yeah. you know?
0: I love that. I love seeing uh the zoom like the men on the zoom meetings the stuff that goes viral, the videos that go viral because their kids <laughs> come in or like their, their kids bring their underwear in the, the, <laughs> the camera, whatever it is. And it's like, yeah, like we're also humanizing men as dads. Yeah, right? Totally. And I think I remember Isla was about 15 months old when I was working downtown Toronto and I had spit up on my my dress and I had to go to a meeting and I was so freaked out, like, oh my gosh, like I look like a mess, I'm unprofessional. And I just called it out at the boardroom and I said... I have a 50-month-old. She spat up on me on the door. I am so sorry, but I am here. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it was, like, this moment of, like, okay, maybe we get to be human, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, let's just be human it's for a moment. Huge,
1: it's a, I feel like it's actually a huge exhale. And mm-hmm. it would be so sad for us not to bring this into the future, you know, into the I next agree. stage of recovery into as people start returning to work, like, we, we, we need to maintain that. Um, honesty, I think, you know, in the workplace where it's just, it's okay to be yourself. It's okay to have kids. It's okay to have a grandparent you need to take care of, you know, it's okay to take some time off because you just need to step back from work. You know, Mm -hmm. like that it's all okay. You know, like even that, just on the mental health. um, I remember the government had a bunch of supports for people Mm -hmm. and I know women obviously were taking on so much more of the care work prior to COVID. And then that tended to increase during COVID. Um, and I know so many other women who were like, I just can't do this. Yeah. They're like, I can't do work. I can't take care of the family. I can't do th-. and And, and um, so one, one side of that is that, okay, it's okay to just step back and say like, look, this is too much for me. And I can't do this. And you're, you know, prioritizing your mental health but two I think also when those conversations happened in the home like we're saying it also humanized men men were realizing that like um or the other parent was realizing that they need to step up like they need to help out like it it just didn't make sense we're all at home here (laughs) on our zoom calls and why do I feel like I have to tap out
0: yeah. It doesn't
1: make sense, you know? Like it just yes. didn't make sense. So I think the other parents were like, you know what, this is our family. We all need to step in here. It's not just you. It's not just your responsibility. So it's been a, it's been an interesting journey. COVID has been really interesting. <laughs>
0: I agree. My husband has always worked a lot. He's a pilot and he hasn't worked since I think March of last year at all. Wow. And so he's been fully off work at home and he I swear to God he like bows down to me now. <laughs> <laughs> This is so hard. (laughs) All the things that he was, like, always, you know, flying and having layovers and working overseas. And he's like, wow, like, being home, in the home, doing the everyday parenting stuff that he took for granted. He's like, that is work. That is That is work, and we know from our work that women do the large majority of that unpaid work, and it is a massive barrier to their participation in the economy. What do you think systemically and structurally in our economic systems needs to change moving forward? And maybe it started with COVID, but you would like to see kind of continue.
1: Yeah, I think definitely is sharing care, sharing care responsibilities is a yeah. huge one. Um, and I know we, when I was with you and women, we used to always be thinking about strategies and ways, you know, to encourage mm-hmm. sharing care. Um, and one of those uh, in the corporate setting that always resonated with me was, and I know how important it is to get buy-in from leadership. So one of those strategies was, for instance, just hearing um, male leadership say that I'm taking time off for my kids or there's a really fantastic um, study out of Deloitte um, and they talked about men um, taking maternity leave, for instance, Mm -hmm. or maternity, paternity leave. And like just the simple out of office message um, that they would put in their email saying, oh, I've taken a few weeks off for paternity sets the tone that it's okay because we can have all these great laws, but if nobody takes advantage of them, It doesn't matter. So it's really also about like shifting workplace culture. Mm -hmm. And that comes from the top that comes from leadership saying that, yes, it's okay. And also being that example, by also taking that time by also leaving early to pick up your son or your daughter or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever be the case. Um, So I think those are some of the things that need to change. Uh, Flexibility for me is also key. Um, The way I work is not normal. I don't work nine to five at all like you know I've got four kids um I will tap in a little bit tap out a little bit tap you know (laughs) tapping a little bit and for me I've always said as long as people are doing you know good work and and they feel comfortable to bring again their authentic selves to work then that's what matters not that they were sitting at their desk for eight hours um so I've also really just felt like we need to reconsider um the structure of work. Um, I think COVID has kickstarted that Mm -hmm. and I hope that we'll continue to just rethink structurally how we work, um, as we move into recovery, as we move into the next phase.
0: I agree. I love all of that. I want to talk a little bit about entrepreneurship and, in in my world a lot of the women i work with have the choice of entrepreneurship so a lot of them you know could excel in corporate structures or choose the entrepreneurship road. And I recently had a conversation with a client who uh, wants to really support lower Mm. socioeconomic women. She wants to support marginalized women. And she didn't understand the connection that for many women, even in Canada, entrepreneurship is actually the only option for Mm. them to, to succeed because they're immigrants, they don't have necessarily the educational credentials, they have different family dynamics, their parents, whatever it is, entrepreneurship is the only thing that gives them that flexibility that they need to thrive in those systems. And I would love to hear your take on that and also your experience working in the communities, the entrepreneurial communities that you work in um, as that segment of the economic systems that we have.
1: For sure. I love this question. And I've got so much I want to add here. So, okay.
0: <laughs> it's there's like no censorship. <laughs> there's no fault here. You can say anything.
1: I'll start with some one of the things we recently did. So we recently, yeah. um, through the Women's Entrepreneurship Knowledge Hub, supported the Rise Up Pitch Competition. Rise Up was a partnership with um, Black Business Professional Association, Castle Foundation, Decedulous Women Leaders. These are organizations that support Black women mm-hmm. uh, or, or a Black the Black business community. Some specifically on Black women. And basically, what we did is with the support of some. Major players in the ecosystem. We had um, a pitch competition for 10 prizes of and th- eight prizes of $10,000. Um, we put out a call for applications and we were totally overwhelmed. We got just over 700 applications of Black women entrepreneurs who applied for this pitch competition. Mm -hmm. Now, let me tell you the stats. The majority of the people who applied to this pitch competition um, were working in the services sector. Uh, The majority of them had revenues of about $100,000 or less. Most of them had similar barriers to entrepreneurship access to finance access to networks um on the finance piece for instance some of the things that we're talking about and this uh, goes into the bigger picture of the ecosystem so on the finance piece um rarely would a Black woman entrepreneur, for instance, enter a bank and see another Black woman who's going to be assessing her loan application. And this person who is assessing her loan application may not understand some of the systemic barriers that this Black woman has had to face to even enter that bank and pull together that loan application. So um, there's just a lot of Barriers. Now, I know the government right now has also put forward. um, They're they're really they've they've pivoted. There's a lot of support that they put out there, and that I think they're going to continue to put out there to support the Black business community, Um, similar to what they did for women's entrepreneurship. Today, when you look at the women's entrepreneurship ecosystem, most major banks have like a women's business banking department. You know, Mm -hmm. like think about BMO for women, for instance. Like Mm -hmm. they are focused on women entrepreneurs as a core market. Right. Not necessarily at the moment, are they thinking about Black women or yeah. Black business uh, uh Black-owned businesses. Um, and why am I saying this? I'm saying this because, one, I think that the government setting that uh, and that policy is a first step in transforming and setting the tone and encouraging private sector banks to begin to think about women entrepreneurs, Indigenous entrepreneurs, Black-led businesses um, in different ways that they can support that. And in, in and when the government sets that policy, then the banks adopt these policies, they set up these things, then we start seeing support. We start seeing things beginning to change. So for me, that's one thing that's super important. Um, and um, we, we also had a very interesting roundtable as well. As we started looking at Black women entrepreneurs, we had a really interesting roundtable where we brought together different organizations, again, that support um black women entrepreneurs, again, to understand what is happening in the ecosystem. What are some of the ways that we can collaborate? And I feel encouraged because I feel like things are starting to come together. I think, I to me, it, it parallels so much the women's entrepreneurship ecosystem because, or the women's economic empowerment ecosystem, because I feel like when I entered in 2018 things were starting to come together. That's when the government set their women's entrepreneurship strategy. They had a lot of money committed to building up the ecosystem. They had the policy, they had like everything in place to really build that ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning when I came in in 2018, at least I can speak for myself only, the ecosystem was broken, it was fragmented. There was it was truthfully from my perspective it was a mess. After we got that support that um, the ecosystem, honestly, it, it came together. The research was there. Uh, policy was there. Um, private sector was moving in the right direction. I mean, like everything was moving in a way to lift up women. And I'm happy because I feel like um, the same thing is starting to happen with the Black business community and especially also with Black women entrepreneurs. And part of the work that I'm doing is that as we're starting to support Black Uh, entrepreneurship or Black businesses, I continue to sort of say, let's not also forget about Black women entrepreneurs, because we also know that um, if we don't have that gender angle, we can sometimes forget. Now, one last thing on this point is on stereotyping. So thinking about entrepreneurship as a career pathway, research tells us that if you don't have uh, an entrepreneur in your family, you normally, you would not likely to think about entrepreneurship as a career pathway, let alone be successful in entrepreneurship. And so, also the other thing we know is that when you think entrepreneurship, the research has shown us, and when you just even, for instance, Google entrepreneur, you don't normally uh, come across women entrepreneur, um, let alone a diverse women entrepreneur. So, one of the things that we've done at WEC, the Women's Entrepreneurship Knowledge Hub, is that we have Um, a campaign uh, that targets this exactly called See It Be It, um, where basically we have um, a database of over 1,000 award-winning entrepreneurs, diverse women entrepreneurs from across Canada to show that we are fantastic women yes. entrepreneurs. I mean, we are fantastic entrepreneurs. And the point here is just to is really to encourage people to encourage women one to think entrepreneurship and two to know that there are other role models who we can look to for advice, for guidance to see how they've done it, how they've overcome these barriers so that we can be successful when we do take up that mantle of entrepreneurship. So um, that's a long answer to your question. It's but- a beautiful
0: answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's so, wow. You said so many things there that really hit at home for me. Um, one, the visibility piece is so essential. And I certainly come from a family that was somewhat entrepreneurial, I guess, like here and there, but it was always something that was an option for me. I, I always felt mm-hmm. like that was probably my thing. Um, And when I look into my community, I recognize that there are very few entrepreneurs in my life who were successful, like on the same level as some of the men, and who were moms. It always seemed like it was that choice. And so that was for me. It was like, can I I be both a female successful entrepreneur, not living on struggle streets, and Mm -hmm. be a mom? And now we're going this layer deeper with the intersectionality of that and to look at certain different barriers for black women, for indigenous women. And I think I really applaud the work that you're doing because you're looking at it from a really holistic lens. And my question based on everything you've said is as someone in this space, as a white privileged woman in this space, how can I and anybody listening who sort of identifies the same way, how can we be real allies for the communities that you're working with for specifically the black women entrepreneurs that you're working with because I'm I'm seeing and we've both seen this a lot in corporate structures the performative allyship which is very much like the PR side of it and and like appearing to be or appearing to do certain things but like on a real tangible like soul level supportive my heart's in it with you level what what would you like to see from me and other women listening
1: yeah that's also a good question i think um i think the answer i don't know how to say this the right way but it's like almost to even just take race and gender out of it and just be a good ally you know mm-hmm. like um i know when black lives matter came um there was a lot of people who were looking for to uh, to purchase goods or services from Black-led businesses. You know, like that was a way of lifting up the community. Um, I think in the corporate world as well, we see millennials generally and just the workforce um, really questioning. Um, statements, you know, Mm -hmm. that come out of uh, corporations, like, okay, you say you're committed to diversity inclusion, you put out this grand statement, but we don't really see that happening. And just by lifting your voice and saying, no, that you're not, you're not being honest, you know, like using your voice and your space to call out bad behavior when you see it, I think is so important on the one side, on the sort of the active side. And then I think on the other side is again, just being supportive and, you know, um, purchasing from black led businesses, or if you have the opportunity to share resources and connect. And I, when I say share resources, I don't mean one way. I mean, both ways, because there's a knowledge exchange that happens on both sides um, and being open to that, I think, is where the real magic happens. So I'm, I I really believe in breaking down some of those barriers, breaking down those walls, opening up communication, calling out bad behavior when we see it, um, and holding companies accountable to what they say they're really going to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the data doesn't support their their yeah. PR statements a lot exactly
1: of the <laughs> yeah yeah
0: and and so when you're working with these black women entrepreneurs what are you seeing are like is there a theme for why they're getting into entrepreneurship or the kind of businesses they're starting I know you said the service based businesses tended to be yeah. in, in the research you did were more popular but can you speak to that
1: yeah, for sure. And we've got a report coming out, which I'll share with you as well. So you can see, but um, just like a little snippet is that, for instance, many of the black women entrepreneurs who are entering um, the entrepreneurship spaces because they're seeing a lack in the market. They're seeing mm-hmm. that maybe they want to bring their grandma's favorite sauce. Like there was a lady um, who won a Rise Up Pitch competition who um she has a business with her husband. She's from Haiti uh, originally. I think both her and her husband are from Haiti originally. And they have something called like creme de It's, um, um, the, the, the traditional Haitian drink, I think, Sounds but they, like, yeah, it, yeah, it does, and it looks great. But like, they couldn't find that at LCBO, you know, like they couldn't yes. find that here, and so they used. She said that she used, I think, her mother-in-laws or her grandmother-in-laws um, recipe, and they perf- they fixed up the recipe or whatever they use the recipe and they brought it to market. And she was one of the winners, you know, and she, we, we would not have creme liqueur, you know, like that's not a typical Canadian drink. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, nobody is thinking to, you know, do creme liqueur, you yeah. know? So he's like, no, but I'm, I'm here in Canada, I'm Canadian, and we want our creme liqueur. So we're going to do it. And I love it. it's those sort of gaps in the market. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, um, is, is one area where, Black women entrepreneurs are sort of bringing something new to the space, which is mm. which is great.
0: Yeah, so. that's beautiful, and it adds so much flavor, literally but also figuratively, to our economy and to yeah. our society. Yeah, it's beautiful. Exactly.
1: exactly. So. Um, I think it's an exciting time, honestly, for Black women entrepreneurs. For entrepreneurs, generally speaking, I feel like the government is really, again, I'm always going back to government, but I feel like they're really trying to stand behind entrepreneurship right now and support um, just innovation, broadly speaking. Um, And, you know, having sort of this global perspective, I don't see that the case across the world. So I feel like when we do have that here, we have to just take advantage of what we have to make it work
0: yeah and be a model hopefully for other countries
1: exactly exactly and you know again so when i was with you and women we focused a lot on g7 and consistently when we would share some of the stuff that was happening from the policy side of uh, uh gender equality in canada governments across the g7 at least were shocked they were like mm-hmm. okay well they, they were not doing those things you know mm-hmm. and they wanted to learn from us okay how can we also how can we also support and um you know, our, our program was funded by the European union and they were always like, okay, how can we help women entrepreneurs? Like, what should we do? Like they yeah, genuinely yeah. wanted to know. Um, and that's something I think we have to applaud that behave, that, that mentality.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. From government. Yeah. And I think, you know, now that you're mentioning it, entrepreneurship is such a powerful vehicle for international development too. Yeah, right, Totally.
1: Yeah. And, and, and you're right <laughs> now that's bringing it full circle for me. Right. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, you know, you're right. And I, I was on the board of organization of women in international trade, and that was my way of also connecting on the development piece because trade is a huge aspect of that. And again, just going back to government, that was also part of the strategy to encourage as they were building out new trade agreements with other countries, part of that trade agreement, part of that work, part of that, um, a trade promotion was to encourage women entrepreneurs in Canada to think about other markets as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I've met some amazing women globally um, just by focusing on the trade angle as well. So yeah.
0: So exciting. (laughs) I love it. You are the co-founder of the African Development Forum at the School of Oriental and African Studies in the UK. That's like a very, very cool thing. I would love to hear more about your work. With that program, but also in championing African development, because we are both from Africa. We both have a heart for Africa. Um, I am a firm believer that Africa is the future in a huge, huge way. I would love to hear your take on that.
1: For sure. Yeah. So, really interesting story about co-founding the African Development Forum. So I said earlier that I went to London uh, to do my master's and the school I was at was the School of Oriental and African Studies in London, England. And I met a wonderful friend there uh, who we just, you know, we studied together and we were just thinking, how come this school does not have an African Development Forum? Like all the major institutions, academic institutions, had an African development forum where they would talk about, you know, cutting edge issues, how to develop Africa, what, you know, what needs to be done, what's working, what's not working. But nothing was happening at SOAS, the School of Oriental and African Studies. And we said, we're going to set up the African <laughs> development forum. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. So we, we pulled it together and um, it really was, It's it's just a forum. It's a space for people to come together to talk about what, again, like what's working in Africa, what needs to be done. It's run by students. It's a student run platform. Or, or a conference that happens once a year. Um, and for us, I think it's just a nice legacy that we left behind. Um, you know, so as for me, uh, gave me so much. And um, it's a way for us to, to give back, I think, as well, to the community, to um, the discourse as well on African development. And um, the last thing I want to say on Africa is that, so I was born in Canada. I was born in Saskatchewan. Both my parents are from Ghana. But, um, you know, going to race and identity, I grew up... I'm you, you can't see me, but I'm using a quotations as yeah. Canadian. I grew up on the prairies and I watched Little House on the Prairies. Speaking of which, you know, like I. Truthfully, I had a very non, let's say, African identity. But as I grew older, I felt like I really wanted to connect with Ghana. Uh, that's where my parents are from. And I wanted to know about it. And I think that uh, in Canada, Canada is fantastic. You know, it's multicultural. We have so many different people here, so many opportunities to learn about the world just through our own neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like it's also important as, um, for me anyways, um, uh, to just have also a good understanding of Ghana, my culture. Um, and I reconcile the Ghanaian culture with the Canadian culture. And I think so many um Canadians probably also do the same here. Um, so definitely, I think Africa is in my heart and I'm still on that journey. A lot of different journeys for me of discovering my African identity, reconciling that with my Canadian identity as well, and um, embracing it and finding, I hate the word, but again, that balance, that oneness mm-hmm. of who I am. And I i don't think I'm alone uh, here in Canada on that journey on that particular journey of discovering oneself.
0: Yeah, that's a really beautiful way for for you to share that because I read a stat that said that many first generation Canadians feel this duplicity within themselves because even though they were born into Canadian culture, they went to Canadian schools, all of that. Ultimately, they were raised in homes that were infused with the culture of their parents. They were infused with the culture of their ancestors and how do they bring their, their upbringing, their family life and that culture, the values, all of those beautiful traditions, and then integrate that with the Canadian identity that they have being first generation Canadians, being part of our society, um, as kind of holding both of them. And I think you're a beautiful example of not having to choose, allowing all of you to be present and celebrated, and for you to choose what identity you lean into more, anyways, regardless of your place of birth. And ultimately, I mean, I think that you have this amazing ability of taking. The local experience, connecting it to the global, bringing it back to the local, and reminding myself in this conversation, but I'm sure everyone listening too, that we're all connected, right? Yeah. Like, we're all, co- it's that ecosystem. Every single one of us is connected.
1: And it goes also back to, you know, this idea of authenticity and just mm. being able to be yourself, woman, man, African, Canadian, like, whoever you are coming to terms with who you are and being comfortable in your skin and being comfortable to bring that self to work. If it's the work you want to do, or you don't want to work, like whatever it is that you want to do, just embracing yourself, knowing oneself, embracing oneself and accepting other people as they also embrace and accept themselves.
0: I think the more you do it for yourself, the easier it is for you to do that for other people, right? Because you're just not threatened whatsoever by them being so comfortable with themselves.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So definitely a journey. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm still on it. Still figuring it out.
0: <laughs> I don't think you ever arrive, right? Yeah. It's
1: like like, um, what's that book? The Alchemist. Yeah, exactly.
0: Have. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah. What do you know that like without a doubt that you wish you did not know? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Shiloh has something to say to. It.
1: <laughs> what do I know that I wish I didn't know? I don't think I can say it on the podcast. <laughs> That's a different podcast, yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. We'll we'll get that one off the record. Okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, yeah. one one thing I do know for sure is that you are a powerhouse. I am so 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 blessed that our paths merged at at a point of both of our careers, and I thank you for being such a fierce advocate for for women, for you know, space in our economic systems for everybody to succeed and thrive and, you know, really leading by example with how you show up at work, how you're blending the mother in you and the, the outside of the home ambition that you have for yourself. You're definitely trailblazing a path for so many of us. So thank you. Thank you for being here. I really, really, really appreciate it.
1: And thank you for all that you are doing. I am strengthened by the people who are walking on the same journey with me. So thank you for walking on that journey as well, for meeting me on the path and for continuing to forge forward. So I really believe that together we're stronger. So I'm Mm -hmm. grateful for you. I'm grateful for the work that you're doing. And thank you for giving me the space to also share my story.
0: Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for saying that. I'm Robin Gooding, and you've been listening to The Profitable Way Podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at robin.gooding and join the Facebook community through the link in my Instagram bio. It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe, rate, and review this episode so that I can continue to share this message with other entrepreneurs looking to pursue their dream online. I hope you'll join in next week for another episode and I hope that you always remember that the best is yet to come.